Our text this morning is one of those very bold statements of Scripture, the kind of statements that our generation is not very happy about because it is unambiguous and leaves room for no debate. You find it in Romans chapter 10, the, 12th, the 11th verse, which reads, anyone who trusts in him shall never be put to shame. Anyone, never. Words that lift allegiance to Jesus Christ above every other comparison, that lift the Lord above any equal, which in this case would be a contradiction in terms. Anyone, all of us. And I began to think about what this means, that none of us will ever be put to shame. We gather here this morning as a, a family, part of a community, and tomorrow and the next day and Saturday, I will go out into this community and if I wish to purchase some clothing, I will meet you there. And if I need some drugs, I will meet you filling my prescription. And if I walk the hospital halls, you are there in your uniform. And if I look up from a hospital bed, you will be there caring for me as my physician. If I need to buy an automobile, I will seek you. And if I need it repaired, I will find one of you. And if I want to sell my house or buy a home, I talk to you. If I need a plumber, or I need my roof fixed, or some carpentry done, or my lawn mowed, I talk to you. If I need a banker, someone to guide in investments, I need you. And if I walk through the factories and the production lines, the advertising agencies, or even if I go to see a play, I meet you. And I see your names and statements you make in magazines. As you wield your authority in big business, I meet you in hotels overseas. You are everywhere all week long. You come in all ages from every race. You are old, you are young, every one of you keeps coming back here Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year. Because you know and I know that everyone who trusts in him, in the Lord, will never be put to shame. And regardless of status or occupation, vocation, health or age or race, it makes no difference 
none of us are excluded. And I suggest to you that that is a unique phenomena in all the world. People come here from other nations and countries where there are other theories of economics and government, but they are one with us. And in Jesus Christ, they can sit and will sit at the table with us. And there's nothing like this in the world. For no one will be put to shame when there's trust in the Lord. Now that set me to thinking about this table of the Lord that unites us because here we come to express that trust and loyalty. And I began to ask myself the question, why is this so? Why do we gather like this? Why has this been done for centuries? For the sun never sets on the Christian church. And let me introduce the subject briefly to you. Perhaps it'll begin some thought processes in your own minds. In the first place, there is a past with which we must deal. And in him, we can deal with it. We Americans like to go to analysts, particularly if we've had a bit of a problem with our past, something troubles us, and they sit with us and try to dredge up the things of the past and as they surface to, to fit them together in a kind of pattern. And then we see our problems, where we or someone else has failed. What circumstances have impinged on our productivity or happiness? Or perhaps we go to a confessor, whether it's a pastor, a counselor, a priest, a spouse, a friend. We confess our sins, our transgressions that bother us, failures before our God, or the bar of justice that resides in our hearts. And these surface. And then the question is, what do you do when you're finished analyzing and finished confessing? And the analyst, in a secular sense, can tell you well, you need to get hold of life. You need to integrate yourself. Well, how do you integrate yourself? Or do you integrate with society, perhaps? But maybe you're not very excited about society. All of it does not appeal to you. Its judgments may be fallacious, if not downright immoral. And you're not happy with that kind of relationship. And what's more, you want to find not only release from the past, but you want to find some kind of an example for the future. 
some goal, something to which you can lift your sights so that the past will not repeat itself. How do you deal with these two things? The text tells us if we trust in him, we'll not be put to shame. For he is the one to whom we can turn as we leave the past behind us. For in him we find the model of life. We find the way in which we ought to live and we strive to be increasingly conformed to his image as we grow in godliness. And so he does become for us the ideal but he also is the one that has dealt with our past. He came to take our sins and not only to unscramble and alleviate us from the problems of life, but to forever rid us of our guilt and our shame. For he did not die simply for us, he died instead of us. He went to a cross of loneliness, where his father had left him to suffer, and he cried for his presence. He understands us, but he did this all instead of us, and we can lay our sins upon him, for with his stripes we are healed. And so we have a way of dealing with the past which gives us not only a model by which we gauge the future and toward which we struggle, but we have a real cross that took our own sin and the past is finished and forgotten. Jesus lived realistically but with great idealism. And if you want a blend of the ideal and the real, you turn to him. And in him, you will never be ashamed. Then I got to thinking about the future. He's also there. When we look to the future, not only beyond the grave, but on this side the grave. We look toward a life that is uncertain. Not a kingdom of godly people, but the strife and the tensions, the disappointments, the failures, the losses of our everyday experience. It was Jesus who said, not a hair of your head will fall, not a sparrow falls from the heavens without the will of the Father. Now this isn't true because he said it. He said it because it's true. And he lived by it. And Paul echoes that things will work together for good to those who love him. You'll never be disappointed. And so you face the future knowing that he, the risen, living Christ, is there. 
for he has gone into the future looking to his father, never flinching when there was trial and ultimately death. But he conquered it for us. He came through it and back to us and he said, behold, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. All power in heaven and on earth is mine. And of all the comfort I find, I think of how he called to Mary and Peter and Thomas after the resurrection. He knew them by name and he knows my name and yours. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And death is no longer a threat. There's bereavement. My own death I can handle, but the loss of a loved one? Ah, someone said I can lay the remains of a loved one in the grave, but I can never lay my love to rest. For my great love and the great pain of loss is always with me. And then he says, but you will see your loved one again. For the place I have prepared has many rooms in it, room for all. And if you trust in him, you will never be ashamed. For neither life nor death can separate you from his love. And one more thing, I thought about the fact that he brings holiness, wholeness into my life. Wholeness. Today we have many religions coming to this land, many new ideas of what they mean and how we ought to behave as religious people. And much of it isn't new at all. It's the old asceticism of Platonism, the Greek era, or of the, the Far East. And it tells us that we ought to come apart from the everyday things, the material world, and turn inward in contemplation and solitude and meditation. That's where you really get hold of your inner self. And this leads us to believe that the externals of life and the material things of life are at one level of existence and spirituality is at another level. And so we can privatize our religion. It can be a Sunday morning affair and the rest of the week is out there in that world from which we'll find release someday. And Jesus says no. Solitude, meditation, prayer, fasting, yes, but for another purpose. It is to bring you closer to the God who made all things. And there isn't a day in the week when you need be ashamed. 
There's not a time in the week when you are doing something that is not of your God, for this is his world. You can enjoy the material things of life. You can thank God for them, but you do so in your use of them, in the presence of your God and in the context of his purpose. And so while much today may look like the Christian faith, there is much that has nothing to do with it because it divides realities into two levels of existence, which is totally contrary to the, the presence of Jesus Christ, who came because he so loved the world and gave himself, for there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That's the goal of it all. And he who trusts in the Lord will never be ashamed. There's a marvelous statement in a book that Malcolm Muggeridge wrote some years ago called Jesus Rediscovered. He was the editor of Punch, wrote in many magazines, TV star in Britain. Here's what he writes. I may, I suppose, regard myself as or pass for being a relatively successful man, and I think we would agree. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the internal revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time, and that's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draft of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. A beautiful statement of the integration of life in Jesus Christ. It's a great text in Isaiah. It's found in chapter 16, verse 13. It reads, My servants shall eat, but you who have made your own gods shall be hungry. My servants shall drink, but you who have made your own gods will be thirsty. My servants shall rejoice, but you who have made your own gods will be put to shame. Jesus looks to our needs, not to the things we deserve. And so we come to his table rejoicing that as we trust in him, we shall never be put to shame. May the sacrament this morning be used by the Spirit of God to affirm that reality in our hearts.